This content may not be suitable for all ages. Listener discretion is advised. I freaked out and called my boyfriend's name from the bedroom doorway. I got no reply, but I sure as hell started hearing heavy footsteps pacing towards the entryway. The man got closer and emerged from the trees. As he got closer, I realized that he was quite tall and a bit burly. Loki instantly got bad vibes. The emails and calls never stopped. She would call my husband over and over, day and night, even though he had long blocked her number. From Disturbed Media, join your host, Chad, for true tales of horror, bizarre happenings, and unexplainable events. This is Disturbed. Welcome back in, everyone, and thanks for joining me. Today, I'm bringing you three true horrifying tales that will give you the chills. So sit back and listen close as we dive into the horror. We open the show with an experience from Reddit user Lucia Grace, featuring voice work by Mariana Bradford. And we learn that even in your home, you may not be safe. Last year, before my partner and I moved in together, I was living by myself. For some background, my partner used to work very hectic shifts. He would get off work anywhere between 5 and 9 p.m. He'd let me know if he'd be dropping by. He usually wouldn't be able to give me a time, but at least I knew he'd be coming by. It was around 8 p.m. I was upstairs in my bedroom, working on an embroidery project. I had my AirPods in, so I wasn't too aware of what was going on around me. I remember feeling the bed rattle. My bedroom was right above the front door, so whenever someone closed the door, it would always rattle my bed frame. This would usually indicate my partner had arrived. I didn't immediately go downstairs to greet him as I really wanted to finish off the piece of embroidery I was working on. It was about five minutes before I took out my AirPods and proceeded to make my way out of my bedroom and onto the stair landing. I was about to call out for him when I realized he didn't leave his work jacket or work boots in the entry. He knew full well I didn't like shoes, especially work boots, all over my carpeted floors. I assumed I must have imagined feeling the bed shake. I went back into my bedroom and was about to put my AirPods back in when I very distinctly heard a big crash come from downstairs. It sounded like something very heavy was dropped. I freaked out and called my boyfriend's name from the bedroom doorway. I got no reply, but I sure as hell started hearing heavy footsteps pacing towards the entryway. My gut feeling was that something here was very wrong. I turned and grabbed my phone from the bed and bolted to the bathroom, which was the only room in the house with a lock. I called the police when I started hearing those same heavy footsteps making their way up the stairs. I've never ever been scared of those creaking sounds coming from the stairs, but it was different this time. It felt as if I'd never heard a scarier sound. As I was on the phone to the police, the only thing I could tell the dispatcher was my address over and over again. I was more focused on how I was going to get out of there. 
I wasn't going to wait and see what would happen or who this person was. I flung open my small bathroom window and feet first slid down onto the lower roof. My adrenaline was so high. I had to momentarily put my phone into my bra as I had no pockets and needed both my hands. I just remember hearing the police dispatcher keep asking over and over if I'm okay and what was happening. I didn't even have time to tell her what I was doing. It felt as though my body had gone into autopilot. Once on the bottom roof, I lowered myself onto the pavement. I fell right onto my knees but got up and bolted it down the street. It was completely dark with it being mid-October. The dispatcher was still on the phone when I finally got on it again. While running, I told her that there was someone in my home and how I jumped out of the window to get away. I ran for what felt like forever until the lady on the phone said to focus on finding a shop where I could go into and wait for the police. I told the dispatcher that I needed to call my boyfriend. I had made it to a Tesco Express by then, and although she wanted to keep me on the phone, I said I needed to make sure my partner didn't go into my home and potentially risk running into the other person. I got in contact with my partner. He had just finished work. It was around 9 p.m. by then, and he was driving to my house. I told him what happened, and he instead started heading towards the shop I was outside of. I felt such relief when he got there. I remember taking a picture of my scratched-up knees when I got into the car. My partner called the police back for me as the shock started setting in then, and he let them know he was with me. It took some time before the police finally arrived at my home, I was told my front door was left wide open and that in the living room, the side table had been knocked over. My home wasn't ransacked, but it did look as though someone booked it out of there relatively quickly. Upstairs, my bathroom door was kicked in so hard that the doorframe itself was indented in, though nothing was stolen. Once they looked over the place, I was called and told I could return. A call-out ambulance crew was called and they looked me over. They sorted out my knees and did some sort of assessment to see if I was okay mentally. I was told to go see my regular doctor the next morning about my knees. Reports and statements were written and I stayed with my boyfriend for two weeks after that. I had to hire someone to fix the doorframe along with having a security system installed as I don't think I'd be able to return without it. They never found out who this man was. My neighbors had cameras and all we ever figured about this person was that he was a man who just walked right into my home like it was his own with no hesitation. My front door was unlocked as I was expecting my partner to arrive soon. I live in a very safe village, and leaving the door unlocked was a common occurrence. Though, I've never left it unlocked since. I still live here with my partner and two dogs now. The man has never been back. We have obvious cameras around the property, along with visible security company signage, This was easily the most terrifying experience I've had in my life. It's so hard to describe or tell people. It's like I wasn't in control of my own body when this was happening. Autopilot kicked in and all I knew was I needed to get out of there. Can't get enough disturbed? We've got you covered on Patreon with monthly bonus episodes, ad-free listening, shout-outs, and more. Visit disturbedpodcast.com slash support. You'll be glad you did.
Next up, we hear from Reddit user ElectronicPanda6780, featuring voice work by Tom Aglio. And it's the people who can't take no for an answer that you should be worried about. Often I enjoy walking my dog at nighttime. This is due to the fact that my dog is harder to walk when people are around with their own dogs. So we tend to walk around parks in the area when they've become somewhat secluded. I'm not a very big guy, I'm just about 5'10 and very lanky, so I wouldn't call myself an intimidating figure. However, my 120-pound black boxer lab named Loki could be somewhat considered threatening to most from what I hear. I figured his size would be used as a deterrent for anyone looking to cause nightly troubles. I was dead wrong. On one specific night in the fall of 2016, I could recall of an encounter that reminds me of why I am so reluctant to walk around once daylight falls. This specific park is one I have been to a couple times, and from what I remember, this park is usually secluded around 6.30 and later. Aside from a couple of joggers or very few other dog walkers, not many people walk the same path I take. I also like to put on my headphones and listen to music while I walk. But on this specific night, I chose not to wear them since my phone was on low battery, and I wanted to preserve it as long as I could. Anyway, the walk was going as usual. Loki did his business, and we continued on our usual path. About midway on our walk, I realized that it had started to get really dark. Since he was done with his business, I decided to cut the walk somewhat short, and we took a shortcut that kind of led us off the path. This path had a bunch of trees surrounding the area, and there were still leaves on the branches. With that being said, I felt a weird feeling as if I were being watched. I have pretty bad anxiety sometimes, but since I knew the town was safe, I knew that nothing was going to happen. But still, I could not for the life of me shake off the feeling of being watched. I peered back to see if anyone had been following me out of anxiety, and every single time, no one was there. In fact, no one was anywhere. This whole shortcut was essentially secluded. Suddenly, Loki stopped walking and also looked back. I told him, Loki, come on boy, we gotta go. One thing I failed to mention was that Loki is a big coward. I noticed his tail was tucked between his legs, which is a telltale sign that a dog is afraid. I was also curious and a bit nervous, but I surely did not want to find out what he heard or noticed. I just wanted to get out ASAP. I pulled a little and he began to walk, but every now and then I'd see him peer back. After maybe a minute or so of walking, he stopped again and this time he began to growl. Despite being a coward, Loki is a bark but no bite kind of dog. So I took this chance to see exactly what he was growling at. It was quite dark, so I could not see well. So I used my phone's flashlight to see what was up. Trees, just trees, what he heard was probably some kind of small animal. Once again, I turned around and kept walking. He continued to peer back once in a while still, but this time I noticed it was a lot more frequent. I just said to myself, just squirrels, maybe a bird, and I ignored it. Then I heard what appeared to be actual footsteps and branches breaking. There's absolutely no way a small animal could have produced a sound like that. Loki turned around quick, and still with his tail tucked, he began to growl and bark at a figure that I could only describe as a man in his early 50s, possibly late 40s, appear from out of the woods. He was dressed in dirty clothing, his hair was long and was gray. He had one hand in his pocket, and he said to me, Nice dog you have there, kid. What breed is he? He's a boxer lab, I replied. Oh, I love dogs. Mind if I pet him, he wondered. The man got closer and emerged from the trees. As he got closer, I realized that he was quite tall and a bit burly. Loki instantly got bad vibes. He ran behind me and started to bark at him. Actually, I do kind of mind. My dog here doesn't like strangers. Sorry, but it's probably not best if you pet him, I quickly stated. It's okay, really. He seems like a friendly guy. Just a little pet wouldn't harm him. 
the man retorted as he got closer. I felt extremely uncomfortable as he appeared to get closer and closer. I don't know why this guy couldn't take no for an answer. I mean, I usually don't allow people to pet Loki unless he comes up to them first. If he's scared of you, then I usually do not want to freak him out by letting him be pet by a stranger. This is especially the case when said stranger came from the woods behind a few trees. I'm really sorry, man. I'm scared he'd bite you or something. I told him as I began to walk away. Like I said before, I wasn't trying to be judgmental or anything, but the dude came from the woods and was possibly the one trailing us from before. I don't know why you won't just let me introduce myself to him, the guy replied angrily. This time I began to speed walk. I was very uncomfortable and my fight or flight instincts began to take over. He followed us and kept muttering curses to himself. I don't know if this man was under the influence of something, but he did not let up. I won't lie, I started to get a little angry. Why can't a guy just take no for an answer? He began to match my speed, almost as if he was trying to catch up to us. Loki and I both took this as an answer to start sprinting a bit. I don't remember much of the running, it was all a blur to me, but I do remember the spine-tingling feeling of hearing his footsteps rapidly increasing behind me. For a man of his stature, he was quite fast. I also realized that his intentions may not have just been to pet my dog. No one reasonable would go that far just to pet a dog that clearly wanted nothing to do with him. I looked behind me and he was in pursuit. Maybe about 10 feet behind me, he was chasing us. I'll never forget the look in his eyes. I've never had anyone look at me like that, a look of killer intent. All for what? Just because he couldn't pet my dog? My instincts told me that he definitely had sinister intent behind that. Finally, the path led to the park exit and into the busier streets. I lived about 10 minutes away from the park. I made sure no one was following me and I even made sure to walk on the populated streets. After what seemed like an eternity, we got home but I knew for a fact that I was not going to get a minute of sleep. I also made a police report with my parents. After all, this guy seemed to have been quite suspicious and who knows what his true intentions were. Had his target been someone who couldn't protect themselves or run away, what would he have done? I also often ask myself, what if I had worn my headphones and the sound of music drowned the footsteps behind me? Ever since, I haven't walked Loki in that park. I've also made it a habit of mine to walk on livelier streets at night. If I could give anyone one piece of advice, even if you live in a relatively safe town, do not ever let your guard down. You never know what kind of person might be lurking in the shadows. We need to get rid of some evidence. Don't go anywhere. My name is Bill Huffman, and I am a former Cleveland News producer, and I am now the host of the podcast, Who Killed? I began the show focusing on the unsolved murder of Amy Mihaljevic, and now each week I explore a different case with a focus on some of the victims who don't get the attention they deserve. I have a deep catalog of over 225 episodes, so there is a guarantee there will be something for you. Who Killed is an evergreen podcast, killer podcasts, and slow burn media production. Subscribe today wherever you get your favorite shows. You might be surprised to know that not all serial killers are straight, cisgender white men. And the victims of true crime are not a monolith either. She's Wendy and I'm Beth. And together we host Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color, a true crime podcast. 
Together, we take deep dives into the true crime stories about marginalized and minoritized perps and victims that often go untold. We also provide the context and nuance that these stories deserve. At Fruit Loops, we're serving up true crime with a side of history, society, culture, and some fun. Listen to Fruit Loops Serial Killers of Color on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far? in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon. Now back to the deliciously frightful. Disturbed Podcast with your host, Chad. And finally, our title story coming to us from Reddit user Throwaway Glitter Bomb, featuring voice work by Nicole Doolin. And we meet the crazy beauty queen stalker. My husband dated a beauty queen title holder of a well known pageant before me. They broke up long before we met. She was a statuesque blonde. Very tall. A knockout in her day, in my opinion. This is somewhat important to the story, I guess. But while she was a dazzling pageant winner on the outside, on the inside, oh boy. She could be charming and beautiful if she needed you. But mostly she treated people around her terribly, including my husband. And he eventually broke it off with her. But she never went away. She would continue to call and email repeatedly, even after my husband and I met. If anything, her calls increased. She would call over and over again, day and night, even after my husband, then boyfriend, blocked her number. She would ask for money, and then threaten to go to the police claiming he abused her if he didn't give it to her. He obviously did not give her money. This made her very upset. The threats increased and became more malicious. But when that didn't work, she would switch tactics and try and sweetly ask him for help with certain projects she was trying to get off the ground. At this point, she now needed to generate an income with the promise that if he did just this one last thing for her, she would go away. He did not reply. So she would go back to being malicious any tactic for attention, or for what she really wanted, money. My husband was terrified. 
Because of course, while he never did anything to her, it would be her word over his, and he was terrified of ruining his reputation and career. We unfortunately ended up at an event she also attended. She had been waiting for us to arrive and had placed herself near the entrance of the event. As we walked in, she stood across the room, looking me up and down, laughing and whispering into the ear of her date, making a point to try and make me uncomfortable. But that was okay. She was easily ignored until she ambushed me as I came out of the bathroom. She had clearly been waiting for a moment I was alone. She towered over me. She is very tall. I had no intention of having it out with her, and as I hurriedly walked to find my husband, but she kept pace beside me, hunched over, so she was at my eye level. I'm 5'5". Her head turned towards me. She was like a caricature of herself as she ambled beside me, smiling maniacally. Where is your man? She hissed. Her eyes were black. She looked like out of a Tim Burton movie, hunched over with that crazy demonic smile. Watch your back, pug. She added, grinning. She liked to call me names like Pug because I own pugs, and I guess she thought this was an insult. What I didn't know then was, while I was in the bathroom, she had walked over to my husband and had thrown her arm around him while he was in mid-conversation with someone, and introduced herself to the man he was talking to, as if she and my husband were together. My husband unwrapped himself from her clutches and told her to beat it. She then beelined and waited for me to come out of the washroom. We stopped going to the parties. The last time we ran into her was at a funeral for a mutual friend. She followed me around at the wake. As my husband, boyfriend at the time, was talking to the man's widow, I was talking to a friend and his wife. She walked right up and stood with us, joining us mid-conversation as if she were part of the group. It was unnerving, but also just bizarre. It was a funeral, and I did not want a scene. I silently picked my wine glass off the bar and walked away, leaving her with the couple I had been speaking to, and her staring at me with a smirk on her face. All in all, annoying but manageable. However, the emails and calls never stopped. She would call my husband over and over, day and night, even though he had long blocked her number. She would drive by. I found my car keyed one night after I left it outside, but obviously I couldn't prove it's her. But enough was enough. My husband had a lawyer send a cease and desist. After the first, she called him from a private number. He answered and she said, Hi, it's me, in a sing-song voice like they were the best of friends, and he hadn't just sent her a lawyer's letter ordering her to stay away from him and his family. He said nothing and hung up. Another cease and desist was sent. Then a third. Nothing would make her go away. She did not actually think my husband was capable of not wanting to be with her. Because you know, her beauty. Eventually, though, she got pissed that he was not giving in. So she decided to take this rage to the internet. I knew that she was absolutely checking out my social media, but I don't really use it much, so I didn't care. However, she created a fake Twitter account and tweeted using my husband's name, that he is a fraud, and tagged his colleagues, friends, investors, family members, 
every single person she could think of to try and ruin his reputation and career. On New Year's Eve, she posted on my Instagram account at exactly 12.01 a.m. Happy New Year's, scrud. Social media settings were all put to private. We went to the police armed with the emails threatening to give her money or she would go to the police. She was charged with two counts of harassment and a restraining order was put into place. To our shock, the next day after her arrest, our phones were buzzing. This story had made front page news. Clearly a slow news day. Her day in court came right before COVID. We arrived to the courthouse and sat down. She walked in. We were shocked by her appearance. Actually, shocked is an understatement. She was unrecognizable from her former self. Gone was the statuesque, dazzling blonde. She had apparently shaved her head and was wearing a short, ratty brown wig. She had gained about 80 pounds, give or take, and was now sort of hunched. With her height and new girth, she looked like a linebacker. To add to her new look, she wore a bulky brown men's overcoat and a scarf tied over her wig, like a babushka. My immediate thought was, her outside now matches her inside. But it was her eyes that I noticed the most. About a year earlier, we had shown a photo of her to our kids so that if she ever approached them, they knew to run. At the time, my son, who was young, commented that she had mean eyes from the mouth of babes. Maybe it was that she had changed so much physically overall, but her dark eyes had narrowed into deep black slits. As she scanned the courtroom and saw us in court, she would turn around every so often to look back at us and glare. She would then whisper in her lawyer's ear and laugh as if she were having a grand time. She had a pair of big round cheap sunglasses that she would put on and take off intermittently. When she addressed the judge, she put them on, and he asked her to remove them. We thought she was putting on a brave face and treating it all like a joke, but we were about to find out that getting arrested wouldn't slow her down. The restraining order didn't seem to phase her at all. If anything, it angered her more. From then on, every day, night, and day, she would post from multiple fake social media accounts, posting photos of myself, of my husband, she would put up my husband's photo with the caption, pedophile, or other terrible names. She posted altered and unflattering photos of myself. She called me old, ugly. Those are the G-rated ones. Listen, I am no beauty queen myself. The name-calling, while obsessive and gross, wasn't what bothered me most. Although I'm not going to lie, seeing hundreds of photos of myself on her fake Twitter account calling me ugly and obsessively pointing out every single perceived flaw did succeed in getting me down at times. Why did I keep looking? Because it was like getting a glimpse into her unraveled mind, just in case it was a clue of what she was capable of or thinking of doing next. Because it wasn't her insulting posts that fazed me. What bothered me most were the sinister captions. Keep an eye on your kids because I'll be watching. Or, why don't you plant some flowers in your front yard? Or, be good to your kids because you never know what could happen. How was your Uber Eats order? She would post pictures of me with an arrow directed to my head, which I perceived to be a gun to my head. She posted pictures of my husband's workplace, 
which she was not allowed to be near in accordance to the restraining order. But the police said this could be just a picture she took from the internet. She posted Agatha Christie quotes like, Every killer is usually someone you know well, or your end is near. Her Twitter profile banner picture was taken from a movie poster and said, Stalker, like she was in on the joke. We called the police again, but they said there wasn't anything they could do since she didn't explicitly tag us. I took screenshots of everything. Many of her posts were nonsensical, but most were photos posted of us on this fake account, all altered with derogatory or ominous captions, but we couldn't get her shut down. I became anxious any time my kids were outside shooting hoops in the driveway. My elderly mother wouldn't take the baby out in the stroller. She was too scared. It affected all of our lives. Life became dramatic. Ex-beauty queen would taunt us with, catch me if you can. She posted close-ups of her dog's genitals or a piece of her dog's shit with my name beside it. The implication obvious. It bothered me she now had a dog since I didn't think someone like her was capable of caring for anything living. Then the call started back up. This time to our home line. Yes, we still have a home phone. LOL. Bitch. And then hang up. Karma will get you. And then weird chant-like calls as if she were reciting a spell. Sure enough, she posted photos of a pentagram and candles as some sort of altar and the caption, Ring, ring. Finally, finally, the police asked us to come in and give video statements. We gave them a drive containing thousands of screenshots of posts she had made. They arrested her again and charged her with two more counts of criminal harassment. My husband was angry at this point, but as Mama Bear, I just wanted to get this over with. She mentioned the kids frequently and ominously many times in her online rants, also calling them rude names which I won't repeat here because these are the things that upset me most. The judge also issued a social media ban for her. By the time she was re-arrested for the second time, her fake Twitter account, which was literally mostly insults or references to my family, had 16,000 tweets in a three-month period. She has no followers, so they were just to herself. The porn sites I had been continuously being tagged on stopped. Things quieted down tremendously, but I still get follower requests that I believe are her. But at this point, we were all on edge. I kid you not, I felt weird walking into my kitchen at night to make a sandwich, feeling creeped out that she was outside watching. I put nothing past her, as nothing is more dangerous than a desperate woman who has nothing to lose. Which, by the way, was one of the quotes she posted. I don't know what is wrong with her. I believe, from what I've researched, she is a malignant narcissist. Perhaps some other mental issues at play here. But I can say she was a terrible person long before she decided to try and make our lives miserable. Crazy beauty queen turned stalker. I would love nothing more than to never meet again. But if going to court helps you stay away from us forever, then bring it. As an aside, I wanted to mention that we heard from a reliable source that after my husband broke up with her, she allegedly became known to police for other reasons. While my husband dodged a bullet regarding her threats to go to the police saying he abused her, apparently other men have not been so lucky.
And before we go, I received a listener experience that I think you all need to hear. And it comes as a reminder that we need to pay attention to the little details and always trust your gut. Abigail, let's hear what you've got. Hi, so my name is Abigail. I'm currently 26 years old. And I wanted to talk about a time when I was working at a travel station here in Texas between Austin and Waco. I had to have been about 19 years old. Now, at this travel station, we had people come in from all over because it was right off of I-35. One day, I was working at the cash register, and an old man came in. He walked up with this young girl, and I'll never forget, they, he bought a single bar of soap and a pack of razor blades. And at the beginning, at the front of the store was a Shell gas station. At the back was a travel station where the truck drivers would come in. And they could purchase showers in the back um, for drivers, you know, driving all day, coming in. They want to take a hot shower, relax, and get back on the road. Well, after he purchased with me, at the time, I noticed, you know, there's this old man here, um, very leathered, liver-spotted skin, old, he was dirty, he was not clean, he had glasses on, he was bald, and I'll never forget his clear blue eyes. I looked over at the young girl next to him, and she has to be about 15, 16, 17, no more than 20, um, dyed hair, also unclean, and she had tattoos, and it stood out to me because she looked so young, too young to have tattoos. I just got a really bad feeling, and after they walked away, I turned to my coworkers and I said, I have a really bad feeling about the situation. And he just brushed it off. He was like, oh, you shouldn't be judging people. You don't know. It could be her grandpa. And I thought, okay, whatever. Maybe he's not the right person to tell. After they walk away, I give it a minute or two, and then I run off to find uh, one of my managers. I let her know, hey, I saw this young girl with an old man. It didn't sit right. Let's find her and see where she is. Well, come to find out, we find this little girl in the shower, or waiting to find her shower, because her shower number got called up. We watched the cameras and asked and saw, you know, what he purchased and what his door number was. So we go and we knock on the door, and the girl answers the, the door alone. And we ask her, hey, we noticed you came in with somebody. Are you okay? And she begins to tell us, like, yes, I'm fine you know, nothing to worry about. And we're like, okay, you know, who was that man that you're with? And at first she's like, oh, he's my grandpa. And, you know, we ask her like, hey, you know, what are you doing? Where are you traveling? And then she changes her story and says, oh, that's just my friend. And she can't keep her story straight about who this man is. We end up calling the police and they come. This little girl, you know, she can't keep her story straight. I will come to find out that this little girl was 15 years old and she had been missing from her home in Indiana for six months. This old man had trafficked her, threw her into sex work, and she let us know that his license plate was from Alaska. By the time the police showed up and looked through the the cameras and went through the parking lot at the truck stop, they never found him again. And it is so hard to talk about this story even today because I have young sisters and just thinking about what could have happened if I didn't speak up for that little girl, it always gets to me. And it's still been about five years, six years. And even whenever I tell this story, I still 
get a pit in my stomach, and I will never forget the look in the old man's eyes. So to the old man in that truck stop, let's never meet again. Thanks, Abigail. And I think it's very important that we hear stories like this. It gives us an idea of situations we need to look out for. And I applaud you for acting on something you felt was wrong. Nice work, Abigail, and thanks again. And you too can submit your experience. Simply pick up your phone or device, record your story, and email it to mystory@disturbedpodcast.com. This way will allow for a little bit better quality, and it allows for our international listeners to get in on the game as well. And if you prefer to type out your experience, we'll take that as well. Send it via email, or you can now join us on our very own subreddit. Head over to disturbedpodcast.com slash reddit, which will redirect you to our subreddit. Join the discussion there and submit your story, and let's keep them coming. Disturbed is an independent production funded through advertising and your support. And if you'd like to support the show, you can get early access to our premium feed featuring ad-free listening and bonus episodes. Visit disturbedpodcast.com support to learn more. And a shout out to all of our newest supporters. Kanisha Hampton, Ryan Maxwell, Tony Blanchard, Kristen Wilson, and Stephanie Kaysen. Thanks everyone so much for supporting the show. Music by Carl Casey at White Bat Audio and Co.ag. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next Thursday with a brand new episode. And stay safe out there, y'all. Mm-hmm.